Folks, there's truly no place like home. And after six weeks in the South Carolina Low Country, we are back in our studio here in Columbia, South Carolina. I'm here with my youngest, Matthias, one of the seven kids that I think missed me, baby. Yeah, she's nodding. They missed me a little bit. Now, whether my wife missed me, that remains to be seen. But um, we got a big episode. We're going to recap everything that happened with the Murdoch drama. We're going to go into some of the judicial issues that have been raised in its aftermath and update you on the legislation. Yeah, thank you, Maddie. That's going to address that judicial scandal here in South Carolina. All that much more coming your way on a very special edition of the Week in Review. Right, Maddie? <laughs> All right, so obviously glad to be home, glad to see my kids again, my wife, glad to be here in the Fitz News home office, our studio here in Columbia, South Carolina. We spent the last six weeks on location. Five of those weekend reviews were filmed outside the Colleton County Courthouse in Walterboro, South Carolina, and our final weekend review from the Murdoch Murders double homicide trial filmed on location at Mazelle, the site of that graphic double homicide, which now has been adjudicated. Alec Murdoch is no longer an accused killer. He is a convicted killer. A convicted killer after last week, the big news out of Colleton County, a guilty verdict, and not only that, sentencing. Alec Murdoch's sentence to consecutive life sentences, meaning he won't see the outside of a jail cell for as long as he lives. Assuming, assuming his case is not tossed on appeal. And we got news this week that a notice of appeal, not the actual appeal, the notice of appeal, filed on Alec Murdoch's behalf by his attorneys, DeCarpulli and Jim Griffin and Maggie Fox. And I double-checked. This was a source of some debate during the trial. Is it Margaret or is it Maggie? We checked. It is Maggie, Maggie Fox. So those three attorneys listed as the attorneys of record on Alec Murdoch's appellate filing. Now, this filing has been sent to the South Carolina Court of Appeals, it has been noted to lead prosecutor Creighton Waters in the office of South Carolina Attorney General Alan Wilson. Now, for those of you unfamiliar with this court, it's a nine-member panel. They hear appeals from circuit courts across South Carolina, from family courts across South Carolina, and they will get the Murdoch case. I'm told when that appeal is filed, it goes to the back of the line. Like any other case, there will be no special treatment for Alec Murdoch or his attorneys as this appeal is processed. It literally will enter the queue where it enters the queue, and the court will take that up based on where it sits in that queue. So we'll keep track of it. Obviously, nothing in that appeal yet, just a notice. Nothing related to the arguments that will be put forward, just a notice. Now, what will be argued? Well, we talked about that extensively, and Alec Murdoch's attorneys previewed a bit of that during a press conference that they held outside the Calden County Courthouse last week. And in that press conference, they discussed potential grounds, most of which are going to revolve around decisions made by Judge Clifton Newman regarding the admissibility of evidence and testimony and avenues of inquiry during this murder trial. And at one point, Dick Arputlin, uh, Murdoch's attorney, had an interesting quote. He said, this is a Bernie Madoff trial, not a murder trial, referring to the deluge of financial information that was included in those proceedings. And so it'll be very interesting to see whether or not the appeal focuses on the admissibility, because according to Harpootlian and according to Jim Griffin, Al Murdoch's other lead attorney, who was actually the lead attorney in that trial, Jim Griffin did the vast majority of the heavy lifting for Alec Murdoch's defense. But according to both of those attorneys, 
once that financial evidence was introduced, once the jury was exposed to Alec Murdoch as someone stealing from a quadriplegic, stealing from his best friend, once that kind of information was was introduced, according to Harpootlin and Griffin, it was character assassination. I don't know how assassinating of his character it was when Murdoch essentially admitted to all of this on the stand. And that's an interesting point we want to talk about briefly. Alec Murdoch, during his two-day testimony, during his double homicide trial, repeatedly admitted to and acknowledged committing dozens of financial crimes. And a lot of folks had asked us, you know, why is the prosecution so focused on this? Why are they introducing all this evidence and eliciting these confessions from, from Alec Murdoch? And apparently the reason is that they feel that that will make it much easier to try the financial crime cases which are coming up. And by the way, for those of you looking for the next Murdoch Murders Crime and Corruption Saga Court drama, it's coming. It's coming. The first uh, case out of the gate on those will be the financial crimes tied to Gloria Satterfield. Now, these crimes were detailed in a March 2022 superseding indictment in which Alec Murdoch and his co-conspirator, Corey Fleming, were both accused by state prosecutors of participating in a scheme to defraud Satterfield's heirs of millions of dollars, $4.3 million to be precise, money that was collected by Murdoch from an insurance company tied to Satterfield's death. Now, earlier this week, this news outlet published an exclusive report on the Satterfield case and specifically zeroing in on something that was first made public by Netflix, by the big Netflix Murdoch uh, murder Southern Scandal documentary, which previewed back on February 22, rather premiered, forgive me, brain dead. But in that, sh- in that show, you heard a recording of Alec Murdoch discussing with an insurance investigator what happened to Gloria Satterfield. And this is incredibly interesting. We obtained the full copy of that interview lasts around 13, 14 minutes. But in that interview, Murdoch discusses what happened to Gloria Satterfield. According to him, let's cut real quick to one of those clips where Alec Murdoch discusses what happened. Now, um, here at your home, I know you and I covered a lot of information regarding the dogs you've got. Yes, sir. Um, why don't you just go down the, the, I think you said you have four dogs. Four dogs. We okay. have Bubba, who's a yellow lab, and he's the oldest. Estimate that he's probably six years old. We have uh, Bourbon, who is a chocolate lab, who I estimate is probably a year and a half old, um, maybe younger than that. I'd say a year and a half at the oldest. We have uh, Blue, who I estimate is a year old. Uh, and, and Excuse me, Blue is a lab, Labrador poodle mix, so a Labradoodle. And um, then we have Sassy, who is a German short hair, who is six months, no more than six months old. Okay. Um, and in particular, I think you had expressed that um, Bourbon, the female chocolate lab, um, I believe she was purchased from uh, Lazy Lab Kennels, and we're gonna we're gonna button up all that data. Uh, but right. she had been away at a. Um, uh, obedience school is that correct that is correct and how long had she been back when this incident occurred uh I, for some I, I believe that when we back when this thing was going on 
we knew, I think it had been a day. I think she had been back uh, a, a little more than a day. Okay. Um, and w when you were talking with uh, Gloria before she was taken away, did she, did she uh, describe the chain of events in any way to you? Obviously, she was, she was out of it. She was indicated it. that the dogs had caused her to fall. Okay. All right, so as you see there, Alec Murdoch blaming this on the dogs, particularly Bourbon, the uh, the chocolate lab. And according to Murdoch, Bourbon had just come back from obedience school, and Bourbon apparently riled up the other dogs, and they charged Gloria Satterfield, causing her to fall. But, here's the but. If you listen to the 911 call that was made by Maggie Murdoch and later Paul Murdoch, no mention of dogs at all. No sounds of dogs in the background at all. The only person who has put forward this theory, Alec Murdoch. And guess what? The only three people who could counter it, who could say, no, that didn't happen. Yeah, they're all dead. Corey Satterfield, Paul Murdoch, Maggie Murdoch. So as that story moves forward, it's very interesting. Murdoch also made a reference in that interview to the fact that Gloria Satterfield was not coming to work that morning was instead coming to pick up a check. That's another key distinction that enabled Murdoch to, according to state prosecutors anyway, effectuate this fleecing. What he did by making that assertion was to convince this investigator that this was not a workplace injury subject to workers' comp laws, that this was a death, negligent, whatever, which enabled, again, those Satterfield heirs, using Corey Fleming as their attorney, to sue him to recover this money. Now, Fleming, you'll know him. You'll remember him if you followed this trial. Fleming was a key player in the trial. He was the individual who was with Alec Murdoch during that third law enforcement interview. It occurred on August the 11th, 2021, and it was during that interview that Alec Murdoch was confronted for the first time with reports of his alibi being questioned, particularly reports that he was at the kennel on the Mazelle property at the time Maggie Murdoch and Paul Murdoch were murdered. So Fleming appeared in that video, uh, not acting as Alec Murdoch's attorney necessarily, ostensibly as a friend, but he and Murdoch appeared in that video. Fleming was challenging the sled agents that were questioning Alec Murdoch, so you know who he is. But Fleming, facing 18 charges in connection with the Gloria Satterfield scandal. Now, we are told the first trial will focus on Alec Murdoch, not Corey Fleming. Obviously, they're going to be tried separately, we're told. But the F Alec Murdoch facing 12 criminal counts of fraud charges related to uh, fleecing of Gloria Satterfield, depriving her heirs out of, again, $4.3 million. Now, this is also worth following because had Murdoch's story about the dogs, about why Satterfield came to Mazelle, had any part of that story not been true, that insurance payoff never would have happened. Murdoch also, incidentally, has confessed judgment already in the amount of $4.3 million to the Satterfield heirs who have reportedly recovered even more than that through their attorney, Eric Bland. So a lot of interesting things happening there as it relates to that Satterfield case. We will be following it very closely as that is the first financial crimes trial out of the gate in the aftermath of the double homicide. It will be held in Richland County. South Carolina and Columbia, South Carolina, the state capital, and Judge Clifton Newman, who became a national hero, really, for the way he handled 
the double homicide trial will be presiding, Judge Clifton Newman, who earned such plaudits, universal plaudits from everyone who was uh, following the case down there in Colleton County. Just he did an amazing job, people, from the very beginning all the way through. His rulings are obviously being challenged, as we mentioned earlier, related to the appeal. But Newman, at every point in that in that trial, would force those attorneys, whether from the state or from the defense, to justify their arguments. Every time they objected, he demanded the legal basis, and then he demanded a point, counterpoint from the attorneys before making a decision on whether to sustain or uh, dismiss the objection. Now, Newman also is going to be challenged on these admissibility issues. We've got a, a number of different issues that came into that murder trial, whether it was the financial crimes, whether it was the roadside shooting incident involving Alec Murdoch from Labor Day 2021, which really blew this story into the stratosphere as far as the national and international media attention, if you recall. So a lot of that stuff came into this trial. And, and Dick Harpootlin and Jim Griffin, Murdoch's attorneys, made some good arguments to try to keep it out. However, Newman consistently argued that not only was this relevant to the state's theory of motive, but on multiple occasions, he pointed out to the defense attorneys that, hey, you guys opened the door. You opened the door. And it was also incredibly interesting to watch Newman go back and forth with the defense attorneys. Jim Griffin at one point arguing that a case Newman had presided over had been uh, tossed by the, by the state Supreme Court. Newman checked him, said, no, it didn't. It was tossed by the appeals court and then upheld by the Supreme Court. So I hope that anybody going up against Judge Newman knows chapter and verse on the law and the rulings, because clearly he does. Clearly he does. And just an incredible job by Judge Newman, not only in his process, but the way he conducted this trial. And even Keel, from the beginning, kept it from becoming a circus. They've called him the anti-Ito, referring to the lack of control uh, Judge Lancito showed during the O.J. Simpson trial. Back in the uh, mid-1990s, they've called him the anti-Edo. And by the way, in case you missed it, we had a story right before the verdict. O.J. Simpson actually weighed in on Alec Murdoch's trial. We didn't get to that during our last week in review because we were so busy focusing on everything that was happening. But just unbelievable. O.J. Simpson weighed in and said, I'm not uniquely qualified to weigh in on whether I think Alec Murdoch's guilty. Yeah, okay, O.J. <laughs> I'd say you probably are uniquely qualified, man. But, but anyway, maybe they'll collaborate on an "If I Did It" uh, two uh, book or something like that. We'll see. But as we look forward for what's next on the Murdoch Murders, Crime, and Corruption saga, it's not just the financial crimes. Obviously, that's going to be a big part. Obviously, that's the first thing coming out of the gate. But we've got a lot more coming, and we started that ball rolling this week with an update on one of the cases that's tied or has been tied anyway, rightly or wrongly, to the Murdoch family. And I'm referring to the case of Stephen Smith. And if you've watched this Netflix documentary, by the way, I, I finally got to watch it uh, this past weekend. It was the first time it had been out for I don't know how many weeks. I just hadn't had time to watch it covering the trial. But um, it's incredibly well done. And I don't say that just because I've got a small part in it, but it's just uh, it's gripping. The editing, the, the cinematography, the narrative flow. Uh, they really covered this case the right way. And so I'm incredibly, um, you know, honored to have been a part of it, excited to recommend it to people. But if you go back and watch that Netflix documentary, they start with that boat crash that killed 19-year-old Mallory Beach of, of Hampton, 
South Carolina, but then they dig into all these other mysteries that have surrounded the Murdoch family. And one of them, which I talk about in the documentary, is the Stephen Smith case. So who is Stephen Smith? What happened to Stephen Smith? And how is that connected to the Murdochs? Well, Stephen Smith was a teenager from Hampton, South Carolina. And in the early morning hours of July 8, 2015, his body was found in the middle of Sandy Run Road in Hampton County, South Carolina. Now, the original ruling in the death of Stephen Smith, thanks to a forensic pathologist from the Medical University of South Carolina named Aaron Presnell, according to Dr. Presnell, Stephen Smith was killed by a vehicular strike. It was a result of a hit and run that a car hit him, struck his body, killed him, and was found there in the middle of the road. Now, what's interesting about that assessment is that Presnell appears to be the only one who thinks that's what happened. And the only reason she's put forward publicly anyway as to why she thinks that happened is that Smith's body was found in the middle of the road. Multiple investigators with the South Carolina Highway Patrol, local coroner, local law enforcement, including the former sheriff of Hampton, all felt this was not a hit and run. All of them believed that Stephen Smith's body had been dumped there in the middle of the road by whomever killed him. And they made this assessment based on the nature of his wounds, his positioning in the road, the fact that his, his shoes were still on, his loosely fitting shoes. If you're, if you're hit by a car, your shoe's going to get knocked off. There were no debris, no tire tracks, no evidence anywhere on that scene of a vehicular strike. Nothing. As this news outlet first investigated Stephen Smith's murder, because let's, let's call that what it is. It, it's not an accident. Stephen Smith didn't die of an accident. Stephen Smith was murdered, and his body was dumped in the middle of that road, people. And as the Netflix series explored this, as we've explored it, some of the things that we found are multiple connections to the Murdoch family. In fact, the Murdoch family name was mentioned more than 40 times in the investigative report of Stephen Smith's death that was submitted by the South Carolina Highway Patrol. Now, as we've dug into that, obviously we've heard a lot of rumors. And if you followed the Murdoch double homicide trial over the last month and a half, you've probably heard some of those rumors too. Most of them revolve around Buster Murdoch and allegations of a, a, an illicit relationship between Buster Murdoch and Stephen Smith. And, and some have even claimed Buster Murdoch killed Stephen Smith. I want to be perfectly clear. Our investigation law enforcement's investigation, any journalist who's looked at this, none of that has been discovered, uncovered, or proven to be true. None of it. Now, am I saying ruling anything out? Of course not. Can't rule anything out with the Murdoch's people. But no evidence to indicate Buster Murdoch, or for that matter, Paul Murdoch. That was another rumor that had been, been thrown out there. Nothing to indicate that they had any hand in Stephen Smith's death. Who did then? That's what we're still trying to find out. We got an update this week from our sources in law enforcement who are continuing to investigate this because here's another reason the Murdoch speculation was so viable and so relevant and so well-founded is that the state law enforcement division opened a homicide investigation into Stephen Smith right after the double homicide involving Alec Murdoch. In fact, they said at the time it was due to information 
uncovered during the course of that investigation. So naturally, everyone assumes, okay, well, God, there's got to be a Murdoch connection. We have found out, though, that that investigation by SLED was opened, not based on any evidence found either at Mazelle or any other Murdoch-related uh, crime scene or, or evidence location, not based on any information obtained, but rather it was based on the fact that SLED was provided with that highway patrol report, which clearly showed this was not a vehicular strike. And that based on that, based on that information, that's when they decided that they were going to open, formally open a homicide investigation. According to my law enforcement sources, there has been significant progress in that investigation. Now, does that mean we will ultimately find out who killed Stephen and why? I don't know. But it does mean that we are closer today to finding out than we were before all this happened, which hopefully will be one silver lining of this uh, unfolding saga. So as we continue to track that case, along with the Murdoch cases, I want to let you guys know we're going to follow that story wherever it goes, whether it leads back to the Murdochs, whether it leads away from the Murdochs, we don't care. We just want to find the truth. And if you're truly interested in justice for Stephen Smith, that's what you'll want as well. You want to follow the truth wherever it leads. Because again, sometimes it leads where you think it does. Sometimes it leads where you don't think it does. Sometimes, I mean, you just never know. And so we're going we're gonna to stay on that case because, again, we, we feel Stephen Smith deserves justice, whether his murder was linked to the Murdochs or not. But you can count on Fitz News to continue focusing on that case as it moves forward. All right. So before we segue out of the Murdochs for this week's editions, I did want to go back to Walterboro. And we had an article up earlier this morning on the city of Walterboro, South Carolina. And I just wanted to commend that one to your attention on FitzNews.com because... This city set the stage, set the tone for this trial of the century. And a lot of folks questioned whether or not Walterboro could handle it. Folks, Walterboro crushed it. Walterboro, from, from the clerk of court, Becky Hill, Sheriff Buddy Hill, Mayor Bill Young, everybody there. Scott Grooms, the tourism leader down there, everybody involved in planning for this trial and implementing this trial. Judge Newman, his staff, everybody, the courtroom, the bailiffs, the Collin County Sheriff's deputies, everybody. This town, they set the stage. And not, and not only did they set the stage, I think that their professionalism, their organization, their planning, the way that they ran this thing, I think it set the stage for how well the lawyers did, how well the, the press got along. They just set a tone, people. And it was everybody got along. Everybody worked together. Everybody was professional. And it started with Walterboro. And it started with Walterboro. Now, the other thing I want to say about Walterboro is if you look at the cam they say the camera adds 10 pounds. Walterboro added probably 20 pounds to me. And I'm, I'm looking at you, Castillo's Pizzeria. I'm looking at that stromboli, that carnivore stromboli, which I told my wife I ate once. I think I probably actually ate it 10, 10 to 12 times. Sorry. Um, but seriously, top to bottom, top to bottom from there all the way down, business owners. In fact, we went to a, um, a Netflix pr premiere party um, on February 22nd. Didn't get to watch much of it because there was a lot of chatter and I had to leave early because we were covering the trial, obviously, but hung out with folks, just Walterboro people, man. The folks who live there, who know all these people, who know the officers, know the, the Murdochs even. Um, 
and it was incredible. I mean, good, just honest, welcoming. I, I can't say enough about Walter Byrne and his people. So I just, before we moved on and broke from the Murdoch segment this week, I wanted to say thank you to the people of Walterboro for welcoming us, for welcoming that entire circus. And not only that, for the way that they handled themselves. They took an incredibly horrible circumstance and they they said before they were going to put their best foot forward and put the best light on it. They did that and then some. Cannot thank Walterboro enough. So I want to thank them. But pivoting back, coming back to Columbia, one of the things I also liked about Walterboro, I didn't have to spend a lot of time focusing on full of crap South Carolina politicians at the State House in Columbia. Got a nice break from those jokers. But sure enough, first day back, first day back, step in a big pile, heaping pile of Palmetto political BS. And it came from a state senator named Chip Campson. Now, if you're not familiar with this guy, he's a, a social conservative, fiscal liberal um, you know, for-profit environmentalist who has a nice little crony capitalist deal for his family company, which, by the way, he's uh, married to, guess who, the Lafitte's. That's right. Let's just point that out. Russell Lafitte, Alec Murdoch's co-conspirator on the financial crimes, many of them. But anyway, this guy goes, gets up in the, in the South Carolina Senate and tries to make the point that South Carolina's justice system, which the General Assembly, he and his legislative cronies, are responsible for him more than most because he's been there for a quarter century. He's been in the legislature for a quarter century. This guy has the nerve to get up and have a little back and forth with Senator Dick Harpulian, one of Murdoch's attorneys, to try to make it look like the Murdoch trial is somehow representative of how the justice system works in South Carolina. And that is absolute garbage. And I want to point this out because through every live broadcast we did, almost everyone, where we're talking about Judge Newman, and the fantastic job he did. I pointed out that this is not the norm, that Judge Newman, he is the exception to the rule. He's an outlier. He is, I think I called him an island of integrity and a sea of corruption. But this jerk off, forgive me, Senator Campson gets up and tries to make it look like this guy is exactly what the legislature puts forward in terms of judges and that, and that the justice that was doled out and Walterboro is somehow, again, emblematic of the justice that we see across the state. Let me tell you, nothing could be further from the truth. And it was disgusting to watch this politician stand up and opportunistically try to defend this completely unjust system by appropriating unto himself and his shady, corrupt colleagues the honor and the recognition that's due to Judge Newman. And I wrote a big column on it. Fitznews.com, check it out if you want, talking about uh, lawmakers trying to torpedo judicial reform, because we need to call opportunistic, self-serving politicians like Chip Campson out for this kind of crap. Because here's the thing, people, Judge Clifton Newman, we, we need another 300 like him in our justice system, but unfortunately, there's only one of him, because most of these judges, as we've seen in the Murdoch scandal, Carmen Mullen. Harry Buckner, to name a two. Most of the judges do not have Clifton Newman's integrity. In fact, they're the opposite. They lack integrity. Judges in South Carolina consistently let violent offenders out based on who they know, based on who represents them. 
And I'm talking about that murder in Darlington County, accused murder that is represented by Gerald Malloy, who's let out. I'm talking about the serial rapist, Bowen Turner, in Orangeburg, represented by Senator Brad Hutto. But these politicians want you to think that what Clifton Newman did in this Murdoch trial is somehow the way things work in South Carolina. That's BS. It is not the way things work in South Carolina. And it is so important that as the debate over judicial reform in South Carolina rolls on, that a debate this news outlet started, by the way, they weren't talking about it before we got into it. They weren't talking about it before we started calling out judges and holding judges' feet to the fire and standing up for the victims of these violent crimes, standing up for the interests of public safety. No, nobody was talking about it. They were just doing that, their good old boy thing. But we started talking about it. We started driving it. And now you got the governor of the state talking about the issue in his uh, inaugural address. You got lawmakers like Joe White, newly elected in the South Carolina House of Representatives, putting forward bills to try to reform it. And we've got a story up this week, in fact, on Joe White's efforts and some of the legislation he's putting forward. And do I have all the answers? No, I don't have all the answers. Do I, do I know the best way to choose judges? I'm, I'm not claiming I do. But I will tell you this. Anything, anything is better than letting a handful of corrupt lawmakers pick which judges their cronies get to vote on and then appearing before those judges with their clients, knowing they control whether or not those judges get to stand for re-election, stand for reappointment. Is that fair? No. Also, one other thing I'd point out to Senator Campson, he's making this big deal about how, in this case, the system worked, which it did. But I'd like to point out something. Judge Newman's retiring. Judge Newman never has to go through this process again. He's not up for re-election. He doesn't have to get re-screened by this little clique of legislatively controlled insiders who get to pick who the judges are. So there's no pressure on him. They can't bring that pressure to bear. So again, total opportunistic crap from Chip Campson, the senator from Charleston. You know what? Legislators, hear me. You want to stand up and try to take take that credit for yourself for what Clifton Newman did in this trial? Now we'll kick you in the balls too. All right, that is a wrap for this week's edition of the Week in Review. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. Obviously, I'm glad to be back here in the home office in Columbia, South Carolina. You saw my baby boy earlier. Glad to be back with him, with his siblings, with their mom, more importantly. But what an amazing journey it was in Walterboro, South Carolina. I thanked the town earlier. Can't thank him enough. But being back home, being here in this office and getting back sort of to the grind of what we do on a daily basis, I wanted to point out to all of those readers, all of those viewers, all of the new subscribers, folks who came to us during that Murdoch trial, I just want to let you know, not only are we going to continue to cover this case, not only are we going to continue to bring you the very latest on this story, because it's clearly not over. We've got multiple investigations, court cases, we've got civil, criminal charges, we've got appeals. This news outlet will keep you up to speed on the very latest on that entire Murdoch saga. But beyond that, this website is doing important work. And just this week, our research director, Jen Wood, filed an incredibly important story on the Cheer Incorporated scandal, which this news outlet has been covering a rash of sex abuse of children 
within the competitive cheer industry in America, one that's been covered up and enabled by some incredibly powerful entities. This news outlet has been pushing to hold those entities accountable. It's incredibly important work. So check out our story on Fitz News by Jen Wood. And if you haven't already, be sure to listen to our Cheer Incorporated podcast. But in addition to that, if you live in South Carolina, if you care about the state, if you care about improving its broken judiciary, its dilapidated roads, its worst-in-the-nation schools, its anti-competitive business climate, if you care about holding the politicians accountable who are responsible for this terrible results, clearly, if you, as you heard earlier, we have no problem calling those politicians out and holding them accountable. So we hope that if you believe in that kind of accountability, you'll keep it tuned here. Till then, I just want to say thanks for tuning in, and we will check you next week on the Fitz News Week in Review.